Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. I'm Moss, and I'm in charge. Becoming a politician, I'm Joe. Learning how to speak, I'm Norbert. Failing my way upwards, I'm Josh T. And not feeling very clever right now, I'm Bill. This is episode 382.5, recorded on Sunday, the 6th of March, 2022. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube, post at the Mintcast subreddit, chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at http colon slash slash mintcast.org. In our innards section, we discuss alternatives and software. It's an open and closed case. And finally, the feedback and a couple of suggestions. Okay, why don't we move into Linux innards? Our show this time is on software alternatives, and we decided to look at both sides of the alternatives. I use a lot of FOSS, including Firefox, almost the only alternative to Chromium anymore, various terminals, Audacity, and so forth, basically whatever comes with my distro and or what I know how to use. But I also feel we need to talk about vendors who support Linux by paying staff to manage non-FOSS products. The one I talk about the most is SoftMaker Office, which I've been using as an alternative to Microsoft Office since 2008, and in Linux since they came out with a version in 2012. We have dissed a lot of proprietary companies. By we, I mean a lot of Linux users and FOSS experts. Only NVIDIA seems to get a pass because a lot of us love our games, and we've sent more than a few packing. I remember when Corel bought WordPerfect and decided to make their own Linux version to be sold with their own Linux distro. They got sneered and jeered out of Linux. Maybe you don't like Adobe, but they developed software for Linux and other Unix-like systems. Are you running a LAMP stack? Adobe and others are paying people to work on these products, and a lot of their work is submitted upstream. Don't look now, but lots of libraries come out of these products, and more FOSS products are developed using these libraries. And on the other hand, if you use FOSS, the devs for those products are not likely being paid for their work. Find out how to donate to their projects and do so. If you don't, maybe nobody else will. There are several FOSS projects which have fallen by the wayside, like Gpotter, for instance, because nobody cared enough to help out and the developer learned he or she had better ways to spend their time. Josh, what you got for us? My list of FOSS alternatives will probably be fairly short as I have very basic needs when it comes to computing. And I'm going to start from a very meta level and begin with using Linux in place of a proprietary OS. So coming from a Windows background, I started dabbling in Linux in 2014 and became nearly a full-time user within a a fairly short period of time. These days I use it about 99.9% of the time, keeping a copy of Windows on machine. Only for the occasional game or piece of software that either won't run or is extremely difficult to run on Linux. And not only has changed my computing life, but it's impacted me in a very personal way and shaped many aspects of my life. The very first piece of FOSS software I used without even knowing so was Firefox. I was on a car forum and there were ads being displayed everywhere. I'm sure you guys know that. 
feeling. And uh, one user chimed in and said that he didn't know what we were complaining about as he used Firefox for his web browser. So I quickly looked that up, downloaded it, and replaced IE forever. And I've been a Firefox user from that moment on. This next application's been proved to be invaluable to me, and that's GNU Cache. It's billed as an alternative to Quicken software, and I use it to manage my personal finances. I've never used Quicken, so I can't comment on that aspect, but previously I was using LibreOffice Calc to keep a very basic transaction uh, register. And while this method did work, it was rather primitive in both form and function. When I discovered GNU Cache, I was extremely pleased with the end result. It allowed me to keep that same basic functionality of a register with the added benefit of breaking down expenses and income into subcategories and project my finances from month to month. There was a small learning curve, but it was well worth it in the long term. I would point out that KDE also has their own cash program that some people have said is much better than the new cash. Yes, uh, K My Money, and I think Scrooge is also another one that's kind of new on the scene, or newer. And I've tried those, but the workflow is quite a bit different in them, so I haven't delved too deeply, but I do plan to continue to try using those. Sorry, what was that, Scrooge, as in the Christmas Carol? Yes, that's the one. Uh, I think there's a K in it, though. There may be. No one kidding. S-K-R-O-O-G-E, I think. Maybe. I don't remember. Is it a KDE project? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a QT application. Almost without a doubt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know anything with a K in there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so last, I'd like to mention, it isn't a singular piece of software, but many of the various video and audio applications that I use on a daily basis to play, record, and edit said content. Apps like VLC, Audacity, Rhythmbox, Lollipop, Caden Live, EasyTag, Kid3, etc. There's just too many to list, but all of them have been awesome, and we are really spoiled for choice in the FOSS ecosystem when it comes to the numerous applications in this category, and I personally love it. So how about you, Bill? Well, as you might have noticed, I tend to lean towards the FOSS software. My attitude towards the software I use is that when I need a tool, I will try my absolute hardest to use the FOSS projects before resorting to the proprietary ones. If the FOSS tool is good enough, though lacking some features that make the job easier, I will try and choose the open source option and a try to adopt my workflow to the software. I say try, I, I injected that word in there because there have been times where it just was not possible. But if it's just a matter of something being easier on the proprietary side or shinier and fancier looking, then that's by far not enough of a reason for me to go the proprietary route. I will adapt my workflow to the software. But if I absolutely cannot conform, then I will use the proprietary tool. One option of this is when I recently had to make a couple of instructional videos showing how to install a podcast player on a smartphone. Well, I made a video for Android, and then I made another video for the iPhone. Now, the only way I could work out how to make it work on both platforms, and there might be something out there that I missed, and I'm aware of the options you have for Android. I needed something to cast my phone screen onto OBS 
and make a video with. And yeah, there's FOSS stuff out there for the Android, but not so much for the iPhone, at least as far as I could tell. I ended up going with an option that required me to use Windows 11, you know, so that there are times when I will choose the proprietary route when I really feel like things that are more important will suffer as a result of me going the other way because it was it was far more important to me to get the content out there to show people that are, that are new to the whole concept of a podcast player and and what even a podcast is. I mean, a lot of the people in my audience, when they are referring to installing an application, they'll use words like download or load. Well, I loaded this application, and, you know, and so you have to really be aware of the audience that you're talking to, you know. I'm going to throw a wild number out there, though. I'm going to say about 95% of the stuff I use on the desktop is open source with the glaring exception of Discord. So yeah, I absolutely do choose the open source option first, but if I cannot achieve that, then I will go with the proprietary route. Okay, so all of that being said, the first application, as most will say, it bears mentioning is Firefox. Yeah, I'm aware this is some low-hanging fruit, but it bears mentioning as many times as possible because it is literally the one beacon of software freedom within the space it occupies, uh, at least to the best of my knowledge. Firefox uses the only open-source web engine, Gecko. Uh, It has plenty of features and has an extensible framework, uh, so anyone with a skill set can develop plugins, themes, and extensions. This is the browser I use for nearly everything I do online. Uh, It just cannot be overstated how important Firefox's role is in this space. Uh, They're they're literally the the only completely FOSS option available. And the problem with that is that I don't get a marvelous idea that Mozilla cares about that as much as we do. You know, I feel like just being open source just happens to be their easiest, best way of making that software manageable to them. I talked about it before, but one other piece of software I recently began using is Jitsi. This is a FOSS alternative to the popular video conferencing software, Zoom. We've no doubt all heard of Zoom. Jitsi offers a very comparable experience while remaining open source. I use it to stream my other show, Three Fat Truckers. You can use the dev server for free. Or you can spin up your own. There's ways of installing that from scratch or with a Docker container. Whatever is easier for you, there's ways of doing it on a Raspberry Pi. To the best of my knowledge, there's no Ubuntu core image for it. And there's no Snap, which is kind of disappointing, but whatever. But that's right now what we've been using. I imagine everybody else will probably mention Audacity. We use Audacity here on the Mintcast to individually record the discrete audio feeds from our microphones so that whoever does the editing can have access to each host's audio independent of all the others. This is helpful when you need to manage people talking over each other or if you need to completely remove portions of a monologue. Audacity is often also used to do the actual editing of the episodes because it's feature-rich with regards to this workflow. On 3FT, we use an alternative piece of software to do the recording called Gnome Sound Recorder. The reason I went with this application is because it was dead simple to use as it has but one use to record whatever comes through the microphone. It saves the audio in whatever format you wish without the need to export. Yeah, see, because with Audacity, you've got this concept of 
you've got a record button and then you've got to go and understand that now you got to take this file that is presumably being constructed in some temporary folder somewhere and you need to export that data into a file system and when you're trying to explain all that to non-technical folk you know it can be a little bit overwhelming so, but gnome sound recorder it literally just does all that by default and really just gives you the option to hit the record button. It uses whatever recording device you have set up by default in your pulse audio settings. So there's no futzing around, you know, with accidentally using the wrong input device and all that thing, because these, these are potential problems when you're using something more complicated like Audacity. It saves the recording in whatever format you want, you know, we use a FLAC and then you can just upload it from there, you know, and it works really well. One advantage of this application is it just uses Pulse Audio as the back end instead of trying to communicate directly with ALSA, which some people have reported a more reliable experience with because it's just using the default, as I said, the default settings for the desktop environment. Another one, uh, lately I've been playing around with OpenShot. This is an open source video editor. I, now, I played around with this software about 10 years ago, and at the time, it felt like the overly stripped down option for doing some very basic editing, and it lacked a lot of features, and it, I don't want to be negative about it. It felt less intuitive to use, in my opinion. I've even heard people refer to it as kind of the Fisher-Price video editor, but recently the lead developer decided to do what appears to be a complete overhaul because the application I was presented with when I installed it and played with it recently was bared no resemblance to what I used 10 years ago. And I'm going to go on record for saying that it, it's a lot closer in parity with other more venerable applications like Caden Live. Yeah, Bill, I remember way, way back in the day they used to refer to it as open shut because it tended to crash quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I just I just remember it being just overly simple. If you wanted to do like Windows Media Maker type stuff with it, you know, that was just add a little something here and there, it was fine, but you weren't going to get a lot of advanced options with it. Well, now I'm not going to come out and say that it's like the GTK version of Caden Live, but I'm sure there's people out there that need far more advanced options, but I couldn't tell you what any of those would be. So anybody that's running a GTK desktop that just needs to do some basic video editing, open shot is more than enough to uh, fill the remit. Well, I've not used any of those things, but I still hear people that use KDN Live all the time complain it crashes all the time. So, you know, sometimes you hear things like that, and then I, I've not had a lot of these same problems. You wonder sometimes how much of that is just due to not having the correct settings or what their usage case is that's different from yours. Probably, but I mean, just to open the software and try to run it, are you asking it to do something that you don't have the proper libraries installed to do, you know, or have you got the config set up wrong? I, I don't know. I My only point is that it's difficult to know whether a lot of that is just user error. Premiere Pro also tends to crash a lot, even during when you want to do something very reasonable. Which one? Adobe Premiere Pro. I tried installing that on Arch once. I couldn't get it to do anything. You might be able to get older versions to work, but the current one, probably not. Yeah. Uh, anyway, to uh, wrap it up, some of what I'll just call honorable mentions includes, but are not limited to LibreOffice, 
that's getting better and better all the time. That is an aggressively developed project. Thunderbird. Thunderbird's seen a lot of love in recent times. Bitwarden. Bitwarden is by far the best password manager out there. It's available for everything and integrates into everything. Uh, Gparted is still probably the best partition manager and creator out there. And then VLC. VLC, I don't know. People cut down VLC quite a bit, but I used it in the old days because it would just basically play anything you threw at it. And it's not the best thing to look at, but it's fine. It works. Anyway, that's all I've got for right now. How about you, Joe? Well, this is where I was talking about feeling unprepared for today, but uh, I, I do have some things here that I would like to talk about. The first one that I'm probably going to talk about is VLC, because it was probably the first open source application that I, I used when I was a Windows user way back when. And VLC is like, you know, almost has the same usability as like Winamp, except for video instead of just audio. And there's just so much you can do with VLC if you take the time to learn it. But yeah, it's not the most intuitive thing ever to get a stream working on it and be able to watch things from there like that. But still, uh, it's something I use almost every day and I really like it. Now, I've also been doing a lot of my own video editing lately and just using all these different applications for that. So... Handbrake I use because a lot of the platforms that I upload things to require specific size of video or extremely small video and Handbrake is really good for down converting and compressing any videos that I make. Some of them are picky about the codecs you use too. Handbrake will basically convert anything to anything. Exactly. And yeah, Handbrake is extremely great for that. And the conversion is mostly intuitive. It could be a little bit better when it comes to like picking, but it's definitely not bad. Now for general video, video editing, I am trying to do everything in one take, but sometimes it's very helpful to be able to cut the end off or cut the beginning off to get the size a little bit smaller. And for that, I'm using Caden Live. And I'm also using Caden Live in conjunction with Audacity for the audio editing. Mostly I'm familiar with Audacity when it comes to audio editing, and it's a lot simpler in there for that. So what I can do is trim off the ends if I want to with Caden Live, get it to the size I want, export it, and then just dump the video file into Audacity and it will automatically strip out the audio. And then uh, once I clean up the audio, I export it again and then load it into the project for Caden Live and it should just be lined up. And then mute the original video, add in the new audio, and then play it through and see how it is. And I can get a lot cleaner audio doing it that way. And then, like I said, because I'm doing it or trying to do it all in one shot, so it seems more natural when I'm doing it, I'm also using OBS on occasion. If I want to do a screen share or something like that, I can set up multiple views and and be recording and then just switch between the views. So that way, if I have a web page or something or an image that I want to share and I, I can just set it up so that my video is down in the bottom right corner and I'm showing something on the screen or sharing my screen to show how something is done. Also, we use OBS for the streaming on this show. And so, yeah, that is great. When it comes to other open source programs, I mean, 
I use standard notes, but I'm not sure if that's open or not. I, I do, I, I use what, like VMware, but I don't think that is at all open source. Sadly, I use Chrome and not Firefox, but it, it works for me. And uh, I'm very big on using what works as opposed to trying to make sure that I use something that's open source. I really wish someone would come out with an open source version of OneNote that, you know, works as well as OneNote does, but um, that seems like it would be very difficult to do. And the closest I can come to is standard notes, although I can make OneNote work as an application in Linux. I was using SimpleNote for a while, but the main problem with SimpleNote is there is no way to archive your old stuff. Yes. And the other thing with SimpleNote is it's not encrypted and they do save it on their servers. I used Joplin for a little while, but you don't have that sync capability that uh, SimpleNote has. You'd have to run it through your own VPS, I guess, or something like that. Evernote was pretty good until they started limiting the number of devices that you could use on, on the free one. And then I just, you know, had to move something else because they would allow you to um, like even do handwriting notes or a drawing and put that in as a note and then toss pictures on there, or toss links in there, or toss whole web pages in there. And so, yeah, it was really good. And I probably, you know, should be willing to support them. But I didn't like how they were trying to force people that had gotten used to their environment to support them. So, yeah, I didn't. I agree. And they also seem to have some, maybe they've changed since then, but when they put it in, they still had limitations on the paid version that I didn't agree with. Sort of like some VPNs, I don't uh, agree with their limitations on how many devices I can use because I've got more than that here. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's... Pretty much it for me, uh, Norbert. Well, the f probably the first time I have encountered Firefox was around 2005 in a school classroom, which is interesting because it was released around 2002, and within three years it found itself into a classroom in Hungary, especially where we don't tend to be as some things and technologies tend to arrive here a couple of years later than, for example, the US. And I just checked and VLC apparently came out a year before Firefox, but it was long before I I, uh, I found VLC that I found Firefox. But at home, I didn't really switch to Firefox at all. I think at the time I didn't really have that many problems with the Internet Explorer, especially when they introduced the, the being able to have multiple tabs. And I think I used Internet Explorer up until like 2008 when I switched to Chrome. And I only switched to Firefox last year because I just decided I've been using Firefox as a secondary browser, so I might as well try it as my primary browser. I was afraid I would have uh, problems, but I didn't really have any problems. Sometimes uh, Google Drive, Drive just would refuse to let me download a file on Firefox, but usually it just works. So maybe there was some problem that was uh, only present for a short period of time. But yeah, I still use a lot of uh, the LLB software on, on Windows, mainly Photoshop and Premiere Pro. And I don't really plan on trying to move over to open source alternatives because while I, I do use GIMP more and more on, on Linux, so GIMP is critical, is something that I'm interested in trying to, in, in learning to use. But for video editing, I, I'm not sure, I don't think if Caden Live and other open source alternatives are quite there yet. Sadly, this is an area of open source software that might be lacking behind proprietary software. But 
lately, most notably since I switched to Linux, the most prevalent open source software in my life was uh, OpenOffice, which uh, I used OpenOffice Writer to write and submit my uh, papers for and my assignments for university and I do have to say devil countless times when I was thinking oh I knew how to do this in, in Microsoft Word can I do this in, in LibreOffice I did a quick Google search and it turns out I can oh I can do this I can do that as well like being able to create a dynamically updating the table of contents for documents and such and header formatting LibreOffice writer can do pretty much everything that uh, that Word can It's just a matter of learning how to do it. So I decided to just use LibreOffice for writing my master's thesis and not even uh, bother with Microsoft Word because I want to boot into Windows as less and less, as little as possible. I really only had to do that when I have to use a Premiere Pro or Photoshop. So by converting my workflow to Linux uh, has been steadily going. Of course, something that uh, was mentioned by Moss is the NVIDIA drivers. The NVIDIA drivers is just something where proprietary version just works better. Novo might work good for some older legacy cards, but for a more recent card, I have a 1070, so the 10 series, it just wouldn't work uh, as well as the proprietary one. So even if Nvidia doesn't end up uh, open source the drivers and don't get leaked, uh, because leaking them wouldn't really do much uh, good in terms of improving anything, because it's still a uh, license and a proprietary license. Yeah, anyone who used the linked data would uh, be su- uh, susceptible to being sued by Nvidia anyhow. So. Yeah. Unless NVIDIA actually says, okay, I'm, we're open sourcing it, it's out there anyhow. As Dishant likes to mention how PopOS has, uh, and Systems 26 had a hand in, in pressuring NVIDIA to improving their drivers, and it really is better and better. I still can't r- launch a Sway session without tweaking it on NVIDIA, and I, I haven't really tried tweaking it that much, but GNOME on VLAN seems to work fine, especially since uh, Fedora 36 will have it as the default session on NVIDIA proprietary drivers. It's interesting to see how that will turn out, but I just, there are some areas where I'm okay with proprietary drivers, because I don't think that proprietary inherently means evil. I mean, there are a lot of cases when open sourcing something noticeably improves its quality, and the NVIDIA drivers uh, would probably benefit from being open source, but it seems like if NVIDIA want to, they can put in the work to make it work better on Linux. We are still a very small market compared to Windows NVIDIA users. Well, yes, but they promised to open source those like six years ago and have had very little. I think last year we mentioned that they open sourced a small chunk of data and that made the Nouveau drivers a little bit better, but they're not following through on what their promises are. Exactly why everyone should run AMD hardware. (laughs) Yep, I agree. Exactly. (laughs) Boss <laughs> did say that a lot of people use the NVIDIA drivers because they like the games or they just can't afford to buy an NVIDIA card because of the ridiculously high prices right now. I mean, I'm in a tight spot because I do like some of the benefits of NVIDIA when rendering video and editing video on Windows, but I would have a much better experience on AMD or Linux. So un- until I keep dual booting on the same computer, I will probably stick with NVIDIA, especially that in the past few months, I haven't really had any complaints about the NVIDIA drivers. Sometimes they just don't work, sometimes they have problems like at one point uh, LightDM just wouldn't be able to start because the NVIDIA drivers uh, weren't ready starting up in time. Other than that, and some screen tearing which can be solved. For example by Valent, which is still not quite there, but is getting there. So, and kind of the same thing goes for Adobe because, yeah, Premiere Pro sometimes crashes. 
Photoshop also crashes noticeably less often, but they're still very good pieces of software. So I think the Adobe Suite is a good example of software that is proprietary, but manages to be good. And Premiere Pro is probably still ahead of some of the open source alternatives. Okay. Well, to be fair too, I have to, I feel like I have to mention, you know, that when I say that I'm open source first, I, I don't really think that proprietary projects and the companies that back them up. I don't think they're evil. That's really not my motivation. For me, it's about the culture of the sharing of ideas and the uh, the fact that anyone with the skill set can contribute back up to that project and, you know, make this thing that we use better. You know, it's the it's the culture behind it, really. With proprietary software and well, things of that nature. The only thing you're doing is using a product that was developed for the purpose of making somebody money, which is not necessarily right. a bad thing. I'm not saying that, but I, I think for me, it's just about forwarding a culture of uh, making the world a little bit better just by sharing the gifts that we people individually have. And that's that's just always been my motivation when using these things. None of us are running Trisk well. None of us are using Libre kernels, so we're, we're all in favor of using what yeah, works. I think there's an air of pragmatism for most people, unless you're RMS. I would want to go back and mention uh, Norbert was talking Photoshop alternatives with GIMP and Crit. I wanted to make sure Inkscape was mentioned in there. Uh, Inkscape is a vector graphic software. We also haven't talked about camera software, and a lot of people are using Darktable. I don't think any of us are photographers, so we don't really know what the ins and outs of that are. But there's lots of good alternatives that us potsers just don't use. Digicam. That's the one I was trying to think of for cameras. Yeah. Yeah, Digicam, right. I, I want to plug a website called alternative2.net. If you type in the name of a software, you get a list voted on user website that are alternatives to that software. You can even filter by proprietary or free or open source software, which is really nice. It, has, it is a high, very large database for software. For example, it says they have 146 alternatives to Blender. Alternatives to Blender? I'm not sure. I mean, I think Blender is the industry-leading software as far as 3D modeling goes. But for example, it says it lists 98 alternatives to Microsoft Word and 109 alternatives to Premiere Pro, which is interesting. I wonder what the top one is. It must be, it's created and live. And then DaVinci Resolve, which is, I, I don't think DaVinci Resolve is free software, but yeah, it's just freemium proprietary. Okay, so it, it even says if you just do a search, it indicates which ones are proprietary and free. So it's a really nice resource if you want to replace software with uh, free software. Also, also, you mentioned Inkscape. Inkscape would be an alternative to Adobe Illustrator, which is a, they are both a vector graphic software. Also, I came across a forum topic about someone complaining about GIMP being not being uh, the worst drawing software, but then someone pointed out that GIMP, it's in the name, it's the GNU image manipulation software. So while GIMP is good for photo editing, they said that if you want to do drawing or graphic, uh, creating graphics, Krita might be a, a better option. So I haven't used Krita extensively, but it, it would be interesting. I, I do want to mention, uh, I know this is kind of, you know, a little off what everybody's talking about right this second, but my favorite like audio server is any of the subsonic forks because subsonic went paid and everybody forked. I think mad sonic was one of my favorites there for a very long time. And there are others. So any of those that are still in development, I, I highly recommend checking out. It's really good. 
as a um, like replacement podcast podcatcher. And it will do videos, so you can set things up to make it uh, pull from YouTube if you link it up with uh, YouTube DL. Yeah, we didn't even talk about podcatchers. Uh, a lot of us use Antenna Pod instead of, say, Spotify or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I use. And, you know, I just found out that VLC can also manage podcasts. It's really not intuitive in the way they have it set up. Oh, yeah, definitely not. My goodness, that thing is really a Swiss Army knife. It is super powerful once you really start digging into everything that it can do. But yeah, definitely not intuitive, except as a standard player. I assume there is no centralized way of doing it, except something like the Adobe, sorry, not the Adobe, the, the Apple. Yeah, you'd have to have an API or something. Yes, the Apple podcast, because the Apple podcast ecosystem seems to be its entire its own thing. Yeah. So most people just say that go and rate on Apple, even if you don't listen on Apple, because it has the most effect, the most impact. Uh, I just checked my uh, podcast I use as Pocket Cast, which is apparently uh, proprietary. Wah, wah, wah. It just works for me and it's uh, comfortable. Well, I, I think I've tried Antenna Pod and uh, what was the other one? I don't remember. I only listen to podcasts on my phone. And on my phone, uh, I have different mentality. So when I use Linux, I tend to have the, the mentality that I should try to use a free software alternative. But on my phone, since I'm already on Android, I don't really have the pressure. So I just go to Google Play Store and whatever I, I find good, I, I just keep using. I mean, so I also use Tidal because it's just the most convenient way to get high quality music. I think we can wrap this up about now. Uh, I will mention there's a lot of good information to be found on itsfoss.com, and I would kick myself in the head if I didn't mention itsmoss.com, uh, which came out of this show in a rather strange way. Uh, let's move on. We've got something new from the John Wallace saga in Vibrations from the Ether. Uh, do you want me to read this one since I responded? Yeah, you can yeah. do that one. Yeah, evidently there's an issue with our forwarding system, and I'm basically the only one getting emails from Mintcast at Mintcast.org. So John Wallace sent this the other day. Hello, Mintcast team. I would appreciate it if you could assist with solving an issue affecting the update manager on my wife's laptop. And she's running Linux Mint 20.3. When I attempt to install updates, I get an error message saying that security updates could not be installed. However, updating via the command line does work. How do I resolve this issue? I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks and kind regards. And I responded, have you tried sudo dpackage tac tac configure tac a on the command line? And John responded, Hi, Joe, thank you for your email. I've tried that, but it does not make any difference. I still get could not install these security updates. What step should I take next? And then I responded, I'm sorry, John, I should have gotten back to you sooner because I think it was like two days before I responded again. My schedule has gotten very out of hand. I am going to have to pass this to the others to take a look at it. Is it maybe a kernel issue in regards to security updates? Maybe try a newer one. And John responded, thank you for your email. I don't think it's a kernel issue as I have been conscientious in keeping Julie's laptop updated, but I will delve into the kernel update history to check. He responded again. Hi, Joe. Thank you for your suggestion regarding checking for an updated kernel. Although the update manager did not show any kernel updates, 
Awaiting on the update screen, it did show the latest kernel update under the kernel history. I installed the update, rebooted, and removed the old kernel versions. Upon running the update manager again, it showed another kernel update, which I was able to download and install successfully upon reboot updates for LibreOffice showed up in the manager. I was able to download and install those. As an added bonus, I found that the file manager on my wife's laptop now opened in just over two minutes. Previously, it was opening in 10 minutes. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to stop it right there. Two minutes is still too long for your file manager to open. <laughs> I really don't care what you're right. running. And he says, thank you for your help. That must be a 5,400 RPM drive or something. Something. No, that's still... Yeah. Maybe an early Chromebook running Mint. Okay, just to be clear, he said that what was happening was the updates on the when he was using the update manager to do updates, it was saying that it could not install the security updates. So the first thing I had him try was dpackage configure all to um, try and fix any broken updates. That did not help, so I figured trying out a different kernel might solve the problem. Either he didn't get an update or the current kernel that he was on was causing some kind of issue. He updated the kernel and it sounds like everything works and is working a little bit faster. But yes, going from 10 minutes to two minutes to open up your file manager is a vast improvement, but it taking two minutes for your file manager to open is still unacceptable in my book. Yeah. Well, what I want to recommend for something like this is a complete nuke and pave, but I appreciate that's not always... Or a new computer. Uh, yeah, because uh, that sounds like there's years of muck. You know, I wouldn't say that a new computer is required. I wouldn't even say that a nuke and pave is required, but it sounds like it's time to get a new hard drive before this one completely kicks the bucket. Well, he said that the updates are working with the terminal, right? It just not with the update manager. Well, it's funny because I've just kind of recently ran into this issue on my Mint system. Normally, the kernels do get updated via the update manager. But I found when I checked, because I hadn't received a kernel update in a while, that I was two kernels behind on 5.13. It hadn't come down in the update manager, so I had to go in there and manually install the newer kernels and remove the old ones. So I don't know what that is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what happened, if it's a new thing or if it's just an isolated case, but I thought I'd bring it up. He doesn't say what kind of computer this is either, huh? Well, that's about it for our vibrations this time. Maybe when we get some more episodes out, we'll get more feedback. So let's move on to check this out. Norbert, I think you're up here. Yes, I want to give a shout out to a project I found called LFS, which uh, doesn't stand for Linux from scratch, but I assume it stands for List File Systems, which is a nicer looking alternative to, to DF, uh, to list your mounted file systems. And you can even customize it. So if I just run LFS, I get a list of file systems uh, by their slash dev slash something names, the type, whether it's an agent and SSD, the file system and what their capacity, how much is used and how much is free, and a nice graphical uh, representation of how much uh, of it is uh, full percent wise. So it's a rectangle showing the red part 
uh, how much is used in the green part, how much is free, and it's uh, way uh, easier to get the overview of uh, which one of the drives might be getting full, as well as the mine points. And if you run it like LFS, then dash C, then uh, if I write label plus, then uh, which is, which means is uh, I will, it will put a label column in the first column, and if I give it the plus, so it's label plus, then it will just include everything that it as it includes by default. This is the way I like to run it because uh, it will give all the default inputs and uh, as well as the labels of the file systems. This is the nice names that I like to give my devices. I haven't looked uh, that much into it. It probably has a lot more uh, like op optional columns you can add. You can even just decide to press label plus fire system, which just print the the label of partition and the and the fire system slash dev slash something. So it's a very customizable alternative to DF. I cannot find this package anywhere. I think it's only on, on GitHub. It's, it's on GitHub. So I, I put a link for the its official page here in the show notes. Oh, uh, okay. Where there's a link to their GitHub and there's a instruction on the GitHub as far as installation goes. I think it has a... It's in the AUR. But as far as other distros go, I think you have to just clone and install it that way. Okay. And we've talked a few times in the show about Joe running for Alan... Texas School Board, and we've got a link in the show notes if you'd like to donate to that. Yeah, and I do just want to, now that Paul's listening, say once again, thank you, Paul, for your donation. Okay, in announcements, our next episode will be 2 p.m. Central Time on March 20th. And we have a link to convert it to your time zone. And our next live stream will be 2 p.m. Central Time on March 12th. And again, we have a link to convert that to your time zone. Let's wrap this thing up. Joe, where can we find you? Well, if you like the sound of my voice, you can catch me on a couple other podcasts. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, which you can get at tllts.org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast, which is at linuxlugcast.com. You can find me on MeWe. You can send me an email directly, jb at mincast.org. And there is also a link to buy me a coffee in the show notes. Norbert? You can send me an email at norbert at mincast.org. You can find me on Full Circle Weekly News at DistroHoppers Digest. You can email me at bardmoss at pm.me. And all my other contact information is on itsmoss.com. Josh, what about you? You can email me at jt at mintcast.org. You can find me at Josh Thacker on Discord and at metal underscore foss on Twitter. And Joshua Hawk isn't with us today. He's at joshontech at mintcast.org, at joshontech on Twitter and most other social sites. And you can hear him on Crowbar Kernel Panic, his fairly regular podcast on Linux gaming. Nishant is not with us today. We've got Nishant at mintcast.org, Recon Ghost at Instagram and at GitHub, ghost.recon on Discord, and Maverick00783 at Steam. And Bill, what about you? Well, for the time being, at least, you can get a hold of me at uh, bill at mintcast.org. I'm bill underscore h on Discord. I'm at wchauser3 on that there Twitter. And even uh, WC Hauser 3 on Facebook. Also, check out my new podcast, Three Fat Truckers. And the website for that is 3ftpodcast.org. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. 
Joshua Lowe for all his work on the website, Hobstar for our logo, InitRD for the animated Discord logo, and Londoner for our time sync. Norbert for audio editing. Bitemark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our Mumble server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. And the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Thanks Clam. Thanks, Thanks Clam. Clam. Thanks, Clam. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mintcast.